Good morning, this is your host, Kareem Kanji. Welcome to the podcast. Excited that you guys have checked us out. You can find us and all of my podcasts at kareemkanji.com. And if you could please subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and everywhere else. Spotify and everywhere else that you listen to podcasts. My guest this week, I actually spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, is Eric Hicks. This up-and-coming actor is from Lumsden, Saskatchewan, now calls Toronto home. And uh, he's already been, he just started uh, his acting career not too long ago. But uh, he has been already on Quantico with Priyanka Chopra. He has been as a recurring role as Constable Fox so far in all four seasons of the award-winning show Cardinal. He's been in Bad Blood as well, and he stars right now in Love in Harmony Valley. He was playing on Super Channel. Up here in Canada, he auditioned for a new superhero on The Boys, so there was a season three coming out. And... Um, yeah, wow, what a conversation with him. His ex-accountant just happens to be Eugene Levy's brother. So yes, this man, he gets around. But um, you know what? That's the all the notes I have on Eric Hicks. Because as you listen to this really amazing and fun conversation, we spoke very little about his uh, career. And I just realized after 45 minutes to an hour of chatting, it was like, oh, Eric, we should uh, we should talk about your career and give you some buzz. But it was just a fantastic conversation. Um, I really look forward to sharing this with you. So again, thank you so much for joining. And please enjoy this conversation with actor Eric Hicks. Since I've been grown man. Hey. Hey, what's up? I'm just listening to your talk right now with Chris Siddiqui and Nigel Downer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those guys are legends. That's awesome. I love it. You know those guys? Yeah, well, I was like, when I first moved to Toronto, I started, I didn't know anybody in this city. And so I was like, what the heck do I do? How do I get a start? Yeah. And so I found the second city. You know, that's what Jim Carrey did. And I was like, well, Jim Carrey did it. Hey, and uh, anyways, I went there and those guys were already pretty heavy into it. And so they yeah. were, you know, you're coming into something, you're looking up to guys and it's like Nigel Downer and Chris Siddiqui were two of those guys. And I'm like, oh man, a decade, you know, 12, 13 years later. And I'm like, everyone's still going. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Those yeah. two guys were so fun to speak with. Yeah, well, they're the man. They're they're hilarious. They've always been hilarious though. You yeah. know, and it's like over the years, they just get sharper and sharper. Oh, I was so, I was so... I was so nervous before speaking with them. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's because like people like in comedy and that, I feel like are really sharp, really witty, really quick on their feet. Yeah. And I'm like, God oh, damn, you know, I'm talking to people that do this for a living. You know what though, man? I was like, when I was starting out in Second City, they get you out in these like level A programs, like it's level A to E and in each term it's two months long. And in my group, it was like, yeah. there were lawyers, 
and they were the most socially inept people you ever met in your life. Yeah. And by the end of that, that, you know, what was it? It would have been a year basically of doing yeah. that nonstop. They, their personalities just completely opened up and they were, they would get on a stage and they would have the confidence to not know what they were going to do or what was going to be said and just trust in the moment that, you know, it would be enough that, you know, they were enough and I, you could just see their personalities blossom. And then that translated into relationships and how they handled themselves in like the work environment. And it was the coolest thing. And to this day, wow. whenever I run into them, I'm like, they're just, they're transformed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool, yeah, Second City Man Improv, it's not just for actors. It's like, it's to get over that fear of standing in front of a crowd without anything to say or anything to do or anything planned. And yeah. just you, and you're going to look like a fool, and you're going to say the dumbest things. And, <laughs> dumbest things. and it's like, they are going to laugh at you. They're going to yeah. laugh at you. That's, that's, that's the reality. They are going to yeah. laugh at you. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so, I mean, with me, like, I don't have a... I don't have an issue speaking with people. Yeah. Um, but, but it's interesting because I've always, like whenever I go to New York and like this year has been the first year in maybe, I don't know how many years that I haven't gone to New York city at least once in a year. Wow. And my favorite thing about going to New York city was going to uh, the comedy cellar. Mm -hmm. um, so if, even if I went for one night, yeah. I'd go to the comedy cellar. If I went for a week, Five out of seven nights, I go to the comedy cellar. I just enjoyed listening to comics, create new stuff, try out material. Like you, you get some big guy come in there. And is that a stand up? Is that a stand up? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like six, all the routines. Yeah. Yeah. And six months later, there's a Netflix special, and I go, oh, shit, I, I remember that joke. Oh, cool. From, from the clubs. And, and so I've always, I've always had this, I don't know if it's a dream or something, of, doing like a five minute set, you know, just, just a five minute set. But mm -hmm. I think stand up is one of the hardest things ever. Yeah. I, I, you know what, it's the only thing in my life that I'm too scared to do. It is literally, I think stand up is the scariest thing. And I've heard from everyone that like a five minute set is nearly impossible <laughs> to nail. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, it's like, you, you are going to fail. I, and I, it sounds like it would be easy until you got up on stage and then when people don't laugh at your first joke and you're like, oh shit, I got to do this for five minutes. It's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound long, but then when you think about it, pop songs these days are what, three minutes long? <laughs> <laughs> and you get bored of those, you're like, next. <laughs> yeah, five minutes. Yeah. You think, oh, I, I think really you need to do that though. You know, I have a couple friends who started doing that and they, it was, they just started doing it this year because of the whole quarantine stuff. They started putting together like a little five minute routine and just putting it out there and preparing it. Oh, and yeah. And uh, Caroline Palmer, uh, an actress friend of mine, she did it just before quarantine and actually got up on stage. I didn't get to watch it, but I was like, for her, it was the most liberating experience ever because she does yeah. dramas all the time. And then to go up on stage and, and to do a comedy routine. And she's like, she's hooked now. She can't stop doing stand-up. That's crazy. So I think you should give that a rip. I think you should. Yeah, it sounds like that's in your, your Fine. die agenda. Before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got another 50 years. Take your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Ho hopefully that's not the only thing on my before I die list. Like, 
Yeah. yeah. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully there's a, a, a bunch of stuff and hopefully, you know, things uh, open up around the world that where you can mm-hmm. sort of go out and travel and, yeah. you know, whatever. Is this, is this beard of yours? Is this a quarantine thing? Yeah, but it's been, it's been taken down once. Okay, yeah. So it was like, like oh, here. And is that the biggest you ever had it? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah was, that a bucket list? was that a bucket list thing to have to no. see what you look like with a beard? No, it's just like, screw it. <laughs> so I was on, I was on uh, March break the week before COVID. Oh. And uh, I usually take that week off. My son's in school, so take, I take March break off. Same time, if we're not going out somewhere, travel, we'll do things every day around the city and stuff like that. And so, you know, you don't, you don't go to work. So I said, ah, I'm just not going to shave this week. And so the week ended up being a two weeks. And I said, okay, you know what? When the Blue Jays start playing, because baseball was canceled. And then baseball came back. So I said, okay, when the Blue Jays win a game. <laughs> and then I said, no, when the Blue Jays win a game in Toronto. So then I was set for a while. And then barber shops opened up. Yeah. And then they soon they were allowed to do beard. So I said, okay, let's just go. Let's get the hair done. Because even my hair was like out to here. So you, what'd you do? Do you get it? Because that was a big thing. I mean, the quarantine hair, that was a big, that's a big yeah. deal. It's like, yeah. how long do you let it grow and how shaggy do you grow before you clean it out? Did you go right down short like you did now and then shape the beard? Yeah, so this is yeah, two haircuts Eight. since March. I just had oh, one yeah. this past weekend. But like, Eric, gone are the days when I had hair like you. I, I don't like... What happened? What's happening? It looks full to me. Oh, there it is. See? <laughs> and so I realized this. It actually, it stops growing. Like it, it grows here. Yeah. It grows here a little bit. Yeah. But like in the back of my head, it went like this. That's it. It just stops. Like that, it, it just stops and it's just in the front and it's like, that's it. I'm officially old. Let's let's write it yeah. in. Let's let's call it. Well, a it's day. interesting too because it's like I've been having the gray hairs come in too all over the face, and you know at first I was plucking the gray hairs. Oh no! Like, I was like, they don't exist. I'm like, what gray hairs? No, 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 no. I'm 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 still in my twenties, right? <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I'm like, it's at that point where there's like too many to pluck and i'm like okay it's time just to embrace the silvers i'm like and you realize you're like wow you, you get into that age and it's like i remember being younger in high school looking up to the university kids and i was like wow they're so old and you know that's gonna be a forever from now and then when i was in university i was like holy like geez like you know i'm not that's just so young still and you're looking at people in their 30s you're like that's yeah. crazy and you get in your 30s and you're like I'm starting to understand how things are now. You're like, okay, I'm starting to get the picture of life. But then you look at people who are 80 and 90 and 100, and you're like, wow, the things you must learn in that journey of life. And I'm like, it's so perfectly humbling in every stage. Mm. I just find it prepares you perfectly for the next process. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, it's such a cool process, aging, though. It's, It's, you know, it's it's taking away that pride and it's, uh, you know, really getting you humble down to the ground, get reconnected and find out what really matters, what your priorities are, rearrange. Yeah. That's so, and you know what, this past, what is it? Seven going on eight months now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people have, you know, whether it's tried trying new hobbies, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, learning how to bake bread uh, or, 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 or whether it is like what you just said, sort of, taking stock and 
you know, maybe refocusing or uh, adjusting, you know, what, what you, you know, what is or is not important mm -hmm. to you. What, what, Eric, you know, what have you been, what have you been doing, doing, you know, yeah. over the past number of months? Well, the first week, man, the first couple of days of that whole, like when this COVID thing came out, I thought it was just going to be a week or two weeks. So I was telling my yeah. agent, I was like, when am I going to get the opportunity to, again to like take a break? So I said, I told my agent, it's like, Hey, I'm going to go backpack South America. And she's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And so I'm like, I'm all getting all pumped up and excited. And then it, the COVID thing just took right off. And it's like everywhere started shutting down. And I was like, well, geez, I was like, I can't do that. And just at that time, they came out with a video game that was free, Warzone, Call of Duty. And yeah. all of my friends, we bought these headsets with the little microphones that come around in the mouth. And we could all game together online. And for the first few months, yeah. I just gave myself permission to be the most unproductive I've ever been in my entire life. And I just played video games till 6 a.m. every single night oh and my. Was insane. like no one went to bed me and my buddies would be like 1 a.m it would be like okay one more game yeah yeah cool one more and then it's like 3 a.m it's like you guys going to bed no me neither okay <laughs> just go on and on and on but then it's like you know when things started opening up again it's like okay time to get back you know, get ground to get some routine get some like stretching and gym and stuff but then i got to go home to saskatchewan for seven weeks okay. and be with my family which I haven't been home for seven weeks since I left high school or since I left for Toronto 12 years ago. And so for me, it was just this beautiful backwards blessing where I could really, my sister has two kids, brother has two kids, and there's just so much extended family. Everyone's there. So I got yeah. to spend a lot of time with family oh, nice. and I helped my dad redo the foundation of his house. We dug it out by hand and pushed in the walls and like re backfilled it and like it was insane and, and poured cement sidewalks everywhere. And then after that, I had to help my brother renovate his two floors of his house, which were gutted. And I learned a whole bunch of new skills. And then, you know, it was just, it was a really great quality time, which is what I, I didn't know I needed, but what I oh. really needed was that reconnection with family. And, you know, you can get caught up in the work so easy. You know, wow. and it's like, you know, in the acting industry, it's it's 24-7 on call and you got to be training nonstop to like, you know, make a career of this thing. Yeah. And so it was really nice to have that. And then just recently, I started getting back into like my doing an hour meditations in the morning and mm -hmm. yeah, and listening to like Ram Dass podcast, which is uh, just a beautiful guy who went on a spiritual journey searching for enlightenment and in the east in india and yeah. it's just all of his journeys and all of his struggles and his humility and what he learned on his on his way and he shares it all with you and it's just really beautiful humbling lessons and these kinds of things i'm finding are giving me you know the clarity and peace of mind for the times that we're in right now mm -hmm. to not have attachments to outcomes or to think about the future in a way that's you know positive or negative to just take things moment by moment and day by day and to get more relaxed into things and just be like it's okay you know whatever it is it just is it's just the way it is and yeah. you accept it or you don't accept it and so i'm having these really nice you know coming out of this quarantine and going into the next one i'm going into it with a nice positive mindset which has been really helpful so nice yeah it's 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 a nice stage i should say 
Very good. Listen, I have to admit, you just distracted me yep. over the it, past few minutes. Has anyone ever told you you sound like Matthew McConaughey? You know what it is? Yes, I have. And you know what it is? It's this, like, in Saskatchewan, there's this real lazy way of speaking. And we speak out of the back of our mouth, and it's like, there's not a lot of jaw movement or anything like that. But then I took a standard North American dialect class in Toronto for acting. And I just kind of made my accent more American all the time. So I don't need to worry about it. And what that did is it started rounding out all the sounds. And then all of a sudden the, the voice just started sounding like McConaughey. And I was like, Oh, for Christ's sake. Cause when I was auditioning, I had this casting director friend. She's like, she's like, Eric, we need to see you. We can't have another McConaughey. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do it. I'm like, that's just, I'm like, that's how it sounds. But yeah, yeah, that is a thing. Yeah. A thing. Well, listen, because this is a podcast, people can't see you, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't so, look like McConaughey. So, so thank you, Matthew McConaughey, for joining me today. On all right, podcast. all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right. Everything's good down in Texas now. Don't you worry. All right. That's hilarious. That's, I love your book, by the way, Matthew. Actually, I haven't read it. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading all the news, the news blips about it, and I'm like, oh, cool, man. I'm like, he's had a, a cool journey. I'm like, I dig it. I'm down to read that. I love memoirs, man. Biographies of people. Yeah. Like, you get the truth. You get the inner details of their life and all, all the nuances and mm. the little secrets. And it's like, oh, and then you start to realize that we're a lot more alike than we are different. I'm like, yeah, it's really that's interesting. Cool stuff. Yeah. We, what, uh, what have you read recently? Well, I just finished reading A Life, which is Keith Richards' biography. How was that? You know what? It was freaking awesome, man. It was really, it was like, he just didn't hold the thing back. And if he was going to talk smack about somebody, he just, he's like, I'm sorry to this person. But he's like, this is how I felt about the situation. And he's like, this is the truth and of how he experienced things. And it was raw. It was just a very raw account of his life. And it was, it was very, a very cool read. Very, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. How the right? heck does that guy remember anything, man? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but you know what he does when he doesn't remember? He yeah. gets accounts from other people who do remember. And okay. so you get these nice, like, little one, two-page quotes of oh. other people telling their point of view of the story. And then Keith's like, yeah, that makes sense. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> if, you say, if you say that happened. Yeah. I actually had this guy, a fan of mine, um, he sent me this big, long, crazy email maybe three weeks ago, and he goes on a rant. He must have wrote like a, I would want to say like probably a five, six page, like if it was on a full word document, five, six page email. And he's like, I don't mean to be, I know this must sound creepy and I must sound like a stalker and this and that and blah, blah. He's like, I watch your videos on, you know, ayahuasca and Vipassana. And he's like, you said you're open to learning and whatnot. And he's like, if you sent me your address, I'd love to buy you a copy of the, the Quran. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I didn't give him my address and I didn't respond to the email, although I will. But I was like, you know what? I, I need to give the Quran a, a reading. I've always wanted to read the Quran. Yeah. So I just actually picked it up from the library today. And I'm actually super excited to read this. I, I've, I've heard, I've read references from other uh, spiritual books that the Quran actually holds a lot of truth to it. And so, yeah, exactly. And that's what I said. Interesting. And so I'm really curious to see what it is about this book that has, you know, 
uh, really taken over a whole culture and, and a lot of people just take it as the ultimate truth. And I'm like, yeah. well, let's see what the heck it's about. Where, where did you get this, this, this drive of curiosity? How, how did you develop that? Were yeah. your parents curious? Were you, were yeah, they... well, no, it was, I know my mom, my mom always wanted us to be like the smartest kids around. Mm-hmm. And so with like both sets of grandparents were there and we had extended family everywhere helping raise us. And so it was always encouraged to learn everything, you know, arts, your parents taught us art and drawing and painting and arts and crafts. And, and then in school, it was really pushed upon us to study and to really care about what we were learning. And so my brother and I were both, we loved school. Like we mm. really enjoyed learning all the subjects. And then it was like, you know, I was big into sports too. So it was always, I wanted to explore different sports and what I like, but my dad always used to say, he's like, he came, he came from a business kind of background. He was in the Amway business. Not sure yep. if you heard of that. Yeah. Kind of like an Arbonne, but back in the day, it's like the original pyramid scheme business. You get people to sign up under you and then people sign up under them and you have all these links and you sell product. You have a big catalog of products you sell of any type of household needs, food, whatever. It doesn't matter. Everything. And so anyways, we'd always go to these conferences all around North America all the time. And he would teach us how to socialize with people. And he's like, when socializing with people, the greatest thing you can do is to learn a little bit about everything, but not to be a master at anything. And so that was kind of, I took that a little to heart. So I was like, I know a lot or a a fair amount about a lot of things, but I'm not a master at anything but I can carry on a conversation. If someone wants to talk about this or that, or do this, like physically do this or that, I'm like, I can do that with you. Like I I'm open to learning. And so a big thing for me is to just from anyone I'm with is to listen and learn. And then you have this like nice collaborative space where you can both share with each other, but I don't, you know, say what I know to be true is the truth. I don't know that. And I don't know that you know the truth. And it's like, what is the truth? And so it's just this whole kind of idea of just learning. And it was always, I used to say this prayer when I was younger. I don't know where it came from, but it was, you know, God, give me the strength to learn as much as I possibly can and to use that strength to help others as best I can. And that's it. It's as simple as that. You know, you gain knowledge. And then you try to convert that knowledge into how can I use that knowledge to help others, how to yeah. understand. And, and that's kind of the whole idea is like to just keep exploring, you know, your limitations. Huh. Did you ever have that in your life? Like that curious, where, 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 where do your interests take you? Like, where is the limits of like the Quran, for example, like yeah. if someone came to you and said, Hey, I'm begging you, man, this book means everything <laughs> in my life. And I just want you to read it because I think it's a beautiful gift and you'll take a lot out of it. And, you know, and then you can understand me and my people. And I'm like, yeah. how would you feel about something like Interesting. that? Interesting. Well, it's like those, um, so I'm Muslim, so I've read the Quran once. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I've read it once, but it's, it's almost like, you know, who are those people? They come knocking on your doors. They always travel in Paris. Jehovah's. Jehovah's, right? They'll come and. And maybe the first time, just out of being polite, 
Mm. You take you take the uh, <laughs> you, you take their magazine or their booklet, and then they keep coming. And it's like no, not interested. And so mm. I, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, would I be am I humble enough mm-hmm. or open enough to, or am I searching enough to to say, yeah, let me let me check out this or let me check out that. I don't know if I am. Um, and I don't yeah. know whether it's I am uh, I am high up on myself or whether it's I've 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 lived enough, I've learned enough that mm-hmm. I, I sort of know now where I want to go, in which direction I want to head, and then I sort of focus on that and take, you know, and take things that will sort of help me propel me into the direction I want to go. But I do agree with uh, the, the, uh, the thought that along our journey, I think it's almost imperative, both from a, it's imperative as a community, as a, as people. A collective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's imperative for ourselves individually to, to be able and wanting to, to help others, to sort of be someone that will either help uh, somebody out when you need them or to be someone in the community that is, you know, looked upon as someone that's, that's volunteering or giving or, you know, along those lines. So I think, you know, stuff like that is very important. Cool. I think because we live, yeah. We don't live like we might be isolated, you know, during COVID nineteen, yeah, in our homes, yeah. But in order to make things better, we sort of have to think outside of our homes. We have to think of others. We have to think of how do I make this a better place, mm-hmm. so that other people, you know, can enjoy, you know, living in a home, or uh, how do I make this a better place so that I can go and have fun in my own neighborhood. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I sort of think of things that way. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. how, but how did you, you know, if, if all I knew about you was these past 20 minutes, mm-hmm. I never would think, oh, yeah, Eric's a, he's an actor. How, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how, did you, how did you get into, like, how did that, and there's a story of there was a film made in your home back in the day when you were young. Yeah. But how did yeah, you get you into acting? I, you know, I think I'll tell you, first of all, like what kind of the draw of acting is. Yeah. And it's draws into that my curiosity of life and, mm. you know, the different stories and the narrative. Because we as a human species, we, we experience life in narrative. You know, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. In, in every story you've ever heard of all time, it's like, I'm, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to you, and then I'm done talking to you. Everything is a, a narrative. It's all told. We experience life in narrative. And so out of this curiosity of mine to just learn, that learning translates into, you know, in acting, it's the study of, you know, it's basically applied behavioral psychology. The studies of human behavior, why we do the things we do, who are we, what are we as a people, what are we as a collective, what are we as a, you know, as a solar system, as a universe, as a, what is this, a simulation? It's like all these questions add into the narrative of our storytelling. And so for me, it's just one of those, if you're going to spend your life 
doing anything, you better enjoy it and you better find something that kind of aligns with your interests. And so my interests are to learn, to constantly be learning and challenging myself and dig deeper into narrative. And it's the most challenging thing I could possibly think of to do in my life. And I was, so I went to school for prosthetics and orthotics before I did acting. And so for me, that was awesome. Like when I was going to school for that, I was, I was deeply stimulated, deeply challenged. But then I found out right away. I remember the day I got certified, I got the, I, you know, the envelope showed up and everyone at work had placed bets. If I would get, if I would pass my certification exams <laughs> or not. And the consensus was I wasn't going to. Why was yeah. that? Because I was busy doing so many other things. I was doing triathlons. I was taking like wow. part-time university classes, working in a restaurant part-time as well as my full-time internship job. And, and it was just like a lot of my plate. And so they didn't think, but for me, I, I just learned so deeply that I understood the profession. And then once I understood it, it wasn't challenging anymore. Ah. I just got it. And I was at a young enough age and, you know, that I just got it quickly. Yeah. And so I got certified and I was like, instantly, I had this thought of like the next 30 years of my life, next 35. I'm like, this is my life. I could see it. I was going to get a degree in business in my spare time and then go down to the States, open up my own shop. And it was all about money. It wasn't about the, the service of helping people anymore. It became a corporate entity. Get them in, get them out, get them in, get them out, get them in, get them out, you know, just running numbers. And I was like, is that really you know, the course of my life, is that really what I want to do? And it was so obvious that it it wasn't. And so I was put forth with that conundrum of, you know, you got the golden handcuffs on. And it's so hard to break free of those golden handcuffs. But you basically have to make that decision right then and there if you're not going to do it. Because if you just say, oh, I'll give it another month, two months, another year, you're locked in. It's hard to break out when you're really stuck in that world. You start building habits and forming your brain patterns to walk into that routine. And so I just made that decision right away. I was like, you know what? Screw it. And I had been pursuing this acting opportunity. Yeah. I was pursuing modeling. I was walking through the mall in Regina one day and they had these two ladies in a booth and they were running a a runway show. And they, they saw me walking down and I'm wearing all these clothes I bought from Montreal, looking all fresh in Regina. <laughs> and they're like, oh, please, like, will you please like join our show? I was like, ah, oh. I, like, oh. I was like, ah, you know what, who cares, sure. And so comes this one weekend, I show up and I just don't give a hoot. I'm just like, just going to have fun. So I'm walking down the runway strut and take my shirt off to a spin, toss my shirt into the crowd. And I'm like, people just loved it there, you know, simple Regina. and anyway so i won that thing that competition and that took me out to the canadian model and talent convention in mississauga which is it's a talent scouting convention there's about 200 people show up in a bunch of agencies that scout for talent for for modeling or acting modeling yeah i was like i I wasn't thinking of it as a real career sure but i was just like just having fun learning something new right interesting and so i was like you know what I'm going to enter myself in for the acting portions myself. You just have to pay a bunch of fees to enter. And you, you do a scene, a cold reading, which is like you just get a scene there and you do it. 
a TV commercial and a monologue. And so I got this book, Acting for Dummies. I <laughs> Acting for Dummies. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> and then I just started preparing this stuff, but there was such a passion for it. And when I showed up, I won the whole convention and best TV commercial. And all these agencies were like, you know, move to this city and we'll sign you, move to this city and we'll sign you. And I was like, well, shit. And that was the other side of the, you know, when I got certified, I had that on the other side. I'm like, well, I have this other door opening. Yeah. And for me, the appeal of that, that challenge was so strong. Wow. I just couldn't stay. And so I immediately, you know, and I was working with my dad. He was in the, in the orthotic shop right next door. So every day I got to go to work and hang with my dad, which was the coolest. And saying goodbye to him to go pursue arts was like, that was tough. It was a tough call. I really like spending time with my dad. Yeah, because that yeah. wasn't something you were, you were just doing it for fun. Exactly. And all of a sudden. And then it became a possibility. And so I just gave my, uh, my notice right away. And that was as simple as that. And I just started looking online for a place to stay. And I never been to Toronto. I just messaged a bunch of people and I was like, Hey, I was like, I've never been here, but I was like, if you trust me, I'd love to rent a room in your place. And that was the end of it. I, I got a U-Haul and I packed my stuff up and drove out to Toronto. And I was like, okay. I was like, where do we start? How do we do that? <laughs> and that was it. And then second city, but it was like, it, it all stemmed you know, all these little events throughout your life, they kind of trigger you and they implant these little, you know, these little ideas yeah, in your mind sure. that just kind of sit there and they all add up and they all led to that CMTC thing. But it's really about taking that leap. Yeah. And, and, and but I knew when I took that leap that this was going to be a career choice. I knew there was going to be struggle. Oh, really? I knew it was going to be a long road ahead. Because I'm like, if I'm giving up that certainty of a career, financial stability, and blah, blah, something that I was really good at, yeah. if I'm going to give that up, I better, you know, give this acting thing what I got. Yeah. And so when I came to Toronto, I was like, I'm going to enjoy the journey, though. I okay. had watched a Dustin Hoffman video, and he said, you know, you're always trying to get somewhere. You're always trying to get to this place of oh, wow, I can't wait till I'm famous or I have this career, I can do movies like that or have money so I can take girls out on whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you're always trying to get somewhere. And he's like, I wish I had known that the journey was the thing. And he said, I forgot to enjoy the journey. The journey is the thing. And so I luckily heard that talk just as I moved out to Toronto and I was like, well, you know what? I'm just gonna make sure that I enjoy the journey because the journey is the thing. Every day, that is the journey. That is the thing. There is nowhere to get to. You are in the place you are. That is it. That is the journey. This is it. Right now, this moment, you and me, this is yeah. the journey. Yeah. If you can't enjoy this, you won't enjoy your idea of an end goal. That's just an idea. You know, an attachment you've made up in your mind. That's not real this moment is it. And so I, I really so made sure that I was going to come out here and enjoy the journey. And that's what I've done. You know, Toronto has been great to me. I've made so many friends, learned so many cool skills, read a ton of books, done a ton of sports, had ups and downs and all overs. And I'm like, that's life. You know, yeah. I could die tomorrow and I would be perfectly fine with it. I, it would suck, 
<laughs> I would be fine with it. And it's like, sure, you know, sure. yeah. And it's, so it's like, you know, life is just, they kind of give you all these cool lessons. And that's the beauty of acting is it forces you to step outside your comfort zone, to face your fears and to come to realizations with things that are outside of your, you know, your little confined area of knowledge. Yeah. Are you still living in the same neighborhood? Same place for over 11 years. Well, you're 11, in the same place. Same house for over 11 years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I was like, why move? Yeah. Everyone's always looking for something better. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, unless it's, you know, if unless it's like, I, I'm devastated or something or something's wrong, I'm like, why move? Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to. And I'm like, I'm content. It doesn't take much to make me content. Do you remember your first gig? Yeah. After you moved here? What was it? Community theater. I did. I went to Ryerson and did some community theater. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And it was just a bunch of like cool, like cool cats who were, were all kind of new to the industry. And they had this like you <laughs> they had different desks set up all in the same room. And everyone at the desk was kind of like running their own little play and they're auditioning for different parts. And so you just go around to each table and audition for the different parts. <laughs> and so they gave me a part in two different plays. Uh, Tartuffe, I got to play Tartuffe, which is like, you know, a real deformed humpback kind of, you know, character. <laughs> yeah, Moliere wrote it. Great play. And then another one was an original play, The Ballad of Captain Jack and King Louis, which was kind of like a family ensemble, a big dinner scene. Uh, and it was, and so anyways, we worked these plays, we rehearsed the heck out of them. And it, it was really passionate, just young people, very passionate. And we put on each of those plays, I think for four nights and it was packed house, probably I'd say a hundred to, yeah, about a hundred, 150 people audience, like for your first wow. play. But I took it so seriously. Like, I remember sitting backstage just getting into, like, the mind frame of the character before every show. And everyone's like, oh, my God, like, Eric's so serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is he okay? And, uh, like, someone would come check. I'm like, I'm good. And then, but then I was like, when the performance came, these things would happen that you could never plan. Just these little nuances and these little accidents and little mistakes. And it was those things that the audience reacted to yeah that just brought like joy to everyone and i was like oh this is powerful and then i noticed when you start trying to repeat performances it doesn't work you're trying yes, yes. you know it's so obvious that you're just you're going by rote through the the colors and i'm like okay so there's a trick here and the trick is which applies to all of life is you have to learn to let go of control you have to trust the process, free fall. You've done the work, and then you have to let go, and you have to say whatever it is, it is, and that is enough. And you oh. might fall on your ass, and it might be brilliant. Who knows? But that's the risk you have to take to capture that brilliance, to, to find that brilliance. And it's the hardest lesson to learn. It's something you've got to constantly remind yourself about all the time, but it applies to everything in life. You have to learn to let go of control. That's interesting because um, I, I've always enjoyed going to concerts. Mm. But even, even comedy as well. Damn, I remember the yeah. first, 
one of the first places I went to was in Toronto. I don't remember if it's still there. It's, it was called the Laugh Resort. The Laugh never Resort. Never heard it. Never heard of it. Yo. So how I long remember, you been in Toronto? So how long have you been in Toronto? All my life. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, basically all my life. OG. Yeah. All right. Um, and so we went to this place, Laugh Resort. Yeah. Um, and the um, the host was telling these jokes, and maybe we went a week later, a couple of weeks later, a month later, and it was the same jokes. Hmm. And in my head, I go, okay. Well, but then I started to understand because then I'd go to concerts mm. and I would like an amazing show. They just did great. And then, you know, after the show, you go on YouTube, you want to relive it and you go, oh shit, they did the same thing a month ago in Chicago. <laughs> what? And then I realized, and then the, the, the struggle for me was, or, or it's what I was trying to understand was how do they keep it so fresh? Mm-hmm. Because I started realizing Every time I went to a show, whether it was comedy, whether it was a concert, mm-hmm. um, or whether it was a play, I, I would enjoy it. And then I would think, they got to do this again. Mm. And it's got to be, it's in the person who sees it tomorrow or the next week is going to have the same reaction I did today. How does that performer keep it fresh? Not necessarily for me, but for them. Because I'm going, damn, like, like Elton John. After doing like three years of this is my last tour, how the <laughs> heck does he still come out? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do they keep it fresh all the time? I was so amazing. play with Sir Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. And they, yeah, yeah. the London Theatre Live, they filmed it. I can't remember what it's called. It's, it's, uh, anyways, it was just a few years ago, I saw the London Theatre Live version, you know, the film version at the Cineplex. And they had put that play up, I want to say, I think they said 230 or 270 times before they filmed it. And that wow. was like the end of the performance. And so they had a talk back at the end of it as well, where they were asked questions. And it was brilliant. But in this take, I remember, or in this play, someone goes and they dropped a glass or they threw a glass and it was supposed to hit the carpet. And it did. It hit the carpet. But then it did this crazy bounce and it bounced and it bounced and then it landed on the hardwood and smashed glass everywhere. And you're like, you know, that wasn't planned. It was just a big accident. And I'm like, that was like one of the last shows they'd ever done. And they're still having these crazy accidents. And so I'm just so curious, every, like, you know, you're watching it and you can feel the energy of the audience watching to see what the heck they're gonna do about this broken glass everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, in a thousand pieces, and of course, someone comes out with a broom in their scene and incorporates it into the scene and makes it, I'm like, that wasn't planned. Yeah. And I'm like, so even in, you know, this, they're able to find colors that they've never reached before. It's crazy. And, and it's that whole thing about not reaching for that repetition. You know what the, it's like, you know, acting is the same as music. There's yeah. certain notes that have yeah. to be hit. You have to hit these notes for that joke to land. Yeah. If you miss the notes, it's like, you know, you can't just improvise a song. That ain't the song anymore. You got to play the notes. But you can play the notes on different instruments. Yeah. You can play the notes in different, you know, like you, you can switch it up and make it your own and change the cadence and the rhythm. And, the, and so it's, that's the challenge and how to make it fresh all the time. But it's letting go of control, which is the whole damn trick of it all. You can't yeah. plan that. That's crazy. Yeah, so now I, I have a new appreciation now. Whenever I go see shows, 
It's like I'm enjoying it, but then I'm also thinking, damn, they keep it so good. Yeah. <laughs> but you can see when it doesn't work too. It's like, you know that they're, they're, they're living in that fear state where they're like, they're afraid of fucking up. And so they, they do a very, you know, color by numbers performance. Yeah. And it's very predictable. And I'm like, there's just no life, no surprises. You know, it's like people aren't listening. They're not reacting. It's like, I'm like, oh shit. But it's yeah. so, so hard to make it great. It's so hard to, you know, so you got to have compassion and understanding for that process. Yeah. I went yeah. to see um, Guns N' Roses, I don't know, two, three years ago. They came through town, played at the, uh, the Sky Dome. Cool. And uh, I've always wanted to see them. I remember years ago, 20 plus years ago, having tickets and then not being able to go. Mm -hmm. um, so I finally got to see them. And it was like, it wasn't like seeing, it was very, it was very, it was very different. There was no interaction amongst themselves. There was no crowd interaction. There was no, it was literally, like you said, they, all they did was play the notes. There was no improvisation. It didn't feel like that. So it was a very- And at the ACC? Shit, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, ACC. Rogers. Yeah, ACC or Rogers Yeah, a, it was ACC. ACC, yeah. I think so, yeah, ACC. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too, man. Like, you're watching some of these older bands. I had a girl buy me some rock tickets to some band too, and it was just the same thing. It was like, just, it was, they'd done it five million times before, and it was just by notes, and I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, well, yeah. I could have just listened to the record. <laughs> it was almost like that. It was almost like that. Yeah. It was almost like that. You should have taken some psychedelics, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember taking my son. I didn't know it was his birthday on the day of the concert, but it was, I got tickets to go see, um, I bought tickets to see Arcade Fire. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, the first time I ever saw them in concert. And it just happened to me my son's seventh birthday mm -hmm. on that day. So my wife says, you got to take him. So I said, <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, but speaking of psych, it wasn't psychedelics, but you know, everyone, even though it's inside, everyone's smoking away. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you know, he's seven. He's so he's getting tired with the fumes. That's good. That was, exposure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Open up his mind. Boom. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, now at fourteen, I'm going. I want him to watch. I'm I'm interviewing in a couple of weeks the uh, the producer and director of Hip Hop Evolution. Cool. Yeah, so it's on it's on Netflix now. Great, great documentary. So I'm I'm encouraging him. He's 14. I said, come on, let's watch this together. Yeah. Um he goes, No, I want to watch. There's another show on on Netflix. The business of drugs. Oh. I want to watch I want to watch the business oh. of drugs. I think and I go oh, wow. <laughs> first, first let's watch let's, <laughs> let's watch hip hop and then you can Yeah. <laughs> He's at that age, hey? How old is he he said? 14. He's 14. Yeah. He's 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to expect 14, the age of, uh, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Try it out. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Try it out. When, you come, when your cousin comes into town, well, like, she'll How she'll old were you the first time you smoked weed? Oh, uh, probably a few years ago. That's it. That's it. So I was like, I'm goody two shoes. Wow. It's um, scary. Drugs are scary when the concept. It was, dude. I, so yeah. the first time, first time was, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. I don't know whether I did it properly. I have no clue. You know, you passed, everyone's passing the joint. Whatever. Yeah. Right. I said, ah, this is no, no big deal. But then 
maybe four years ago, I got, uh, I got shingles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I go, what the heck? This is an old person disease. What the heck do I have shingles for? Anyways. I, I <laughs> yeah. to the, Am I that old? No. Yeah. I go to the, there's, there's no white hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I go to the doctors and he goes, yep, you got shingles. And this is a Friday or Thursday or Friday. Yeah. And he goes, do you need any painkillers? I go, no, it's just itching me. It's, it's no big deal. <laughs> little, little did I know. <laughs> so a day or two days later, like I'm in pain. I cannot get out of bed. So I go, well, you know, drugs is almost legal. You can, you can go and get it, you know, from places in Toronto. Yeah. I have no clue how these dealers work. Right. So I, <laughs> you can, here's my money. <laughs> yeah. So, so I call up my brother and I go, dude, we need to go to the Danforth hmm. and we need to get something because I'm in pain Yeah. and I can't get a hold of the doctor and there's no way that Tylenol is going to take care of this. Yeah. So anyways, I get it. I get it. We end up going someplace. We get a couple of gummies. Oh, the best thing ever. Cool. Best thing ever. I'm like, I'm flying. Anyways. So thankfully my niece yeah. doesn't listen to this podcast so I can talk about her. Okay. So she, she comes to live with us. And, uh, you know, she smokes every day and she takes gummies and all these different things. So I think one day I was just in pain. I asked, Hey, do you have a gummy or something? Right. And I don't know THC from, Oh, and the levels. I know you can go long so fast. Yeah. I don't know what they mean. I said, do you have something now? I've, I've, I've caught on that. She's not in pain when she takes this stuff. So she's taking different things. <laughs> So anyways, she goes, yeah, here's one. And the gummy is tiny. The one yeah. I got from the Danforth was a big bear. Oh, yeah. Give me a tiny bear. Yeah, nothing. It, no big deal. A couple of hours later, I wake up. I go, oh, man, I feel, I feel high. I feel... But then all of a sudden, fuck, man. I'm thinking, I'm like hallucinating. I'm oh, like, God, I'm, yeah. I'm like, am I really, am I talking out loud? I can't, am I, am I saying stuff? Like, uh. What the? I was gone. Oh my goodness. My wife comes in and starts in laughing a, at me. In a panicky way? Yeah, in a panicky oh. way. I go, what? I'm like this. I'm like, like it went, and I don't know how many hours. My nieces, <laughs> my nieces, she films me for a bit. My son is laughing at me. And you're trapped in your head. I'm trapped in, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's so weird. So anyway, anyway I don't know how many hours go by. Have to do the cold shower thing, yeah. And I go to I, I go to my niece and I go, your stuff sucks. I don't like your stuff. <laughs> I, I want the stuff where it feels like I'm flying. I don't want the yeah. stuff where my brain goes for a trip somewhere. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a different ball game. Yeah, but but you can see though how that's like that's a challenge in letting go of control. Yeah, like psychedelics. That's the biggest lesson that psychedelics have to teach is to let go of control. So if you're a control freak and you're taking any type of psychedelic, you're probably going to have a bad trip. <laughs> and that's why. So I'm like, when people say they have bad trips, I'm like, you probably like to control things, don't you? I'm like, <laughs> and so, so tell I'm me like, about you. Like you, you, you started like doing experiments with mushrooms and different things. Yeah. Well, I was always, like I said, curious. I'm like, yeah, I wanted to just try everything once. 
you know, never tried heroin or crack or whatever, blah, blah. That's a little too addictive and crazy. But I'm like, you know, everything else, I'm like, I just want to know once, maybe twice, what, what's what. And, but I said no to weed for a long time, which means I didn't try till I was 16. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I said no to it a hundred freaking times, I swear to you. But then it was like, the first time I smoked it, I never felt anything, but it was a cool adventure with my friends. Yeah. Second time I tried it, didn't feel anything. Third time I tried it, didn't feel anything. I was like, what the heck is this whole thing about weed? And then the fourth time I tried it, I was hanging with the bad boys from the school. There was three of the bad, bad, bad boys. The kids who don't show up to class are always driving yeah. around smoking blunts, drinking, you know, the bad boys, the cool kids. And so anyways, I was, I don't know how I ended up with them. I can't remember, but they took me in their Jeep out to the beach in town. And I remember it was coming around sunset and we drove up on this, like their off-roading Jeep. And so they drove up on top of this hill and they pull out a torch and knives and they put the fucking, yeah, they put a little weed on one knife and then they torch another blade. So it's red hot. And then you press them together and you inhale the smoke. And oh. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyways, I'm like, sure, man, let's give it a shot. I'm like, I tried this weed thing before, but I'm like, it doesn't do it. And so anyways, they go ahead and I, I try to put these knives together and I couldn't seem to get it underneath my mouth. The smoke kept coming up in front of me and they're like, okay, you're obviously not, you know, coordinated. And so they put a two liter pop bottle, cut it in half and put that on my mouth and then had the big opening of the pop bottle over the smoke. So I inhaled. And anyways, it starts to kick in and they let me have the passenger seat of the Jeep. And I was like, oh, I thought that was so cool. And we're ripping down these back roads, flying down these old dirt roads and these dirt roads in Saskatchewan, when you have two dirt roads meet, there's always, it, it jumps up and then jumps down on the other end. Okay. So they're like jumps and these guys are all crazy, you know? And so we're flying down the roads, hitting these approaches and just whoa, like launching off of them. Like in a, it was crazy. And I just felt like I was in a movie. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like someone's filming us right now. We're in a movie. I'm like, That's so cool. And it was, it was one of the most special little things, occasions. But then it's like, you know, you do it more and then the mind can challenge you in different ways. And you're like, oh, there's like that paranoia part of your brain and the anxiety part. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm like, what the heck is that? Hmm. And the whole thing is, is it's fear fear of the unknown, fear of letting go, fear of this. And so the first time I worked with Magic Mushrooms was my 25th birthday. And it was going to be this big celebratory thing. And I was like, I'm going to make some Magic Mushroom tea and I'm going to go to the most happy, beautiful spots in the world and just have a great time. And yeah. of course, you know, that's not what happens. And so I, my roommate and I, we made this huge meal, uh, chicken and rice and beans and I just ate a whole big plate of this and you're not supposed to eat before you do mushrooms. All right. And so we make this mushroom tea, seven grams between the two of us, which is a stupid amount. And we didn't even finish the tea because it was just too much. And I drank this stuff and it takes about 40 minutes to kick in. And 40 minutes into it, I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I am not feeling good. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm like, this is not good. This wants to go somewhere dark. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to do this for three hours. I'm like, oh, no, I'm panicking. And my roommate's like, I was like, I don't feel good. He's like, if you got it, he's like, go to the washroom and lean over the toilet. 
And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, okay. And so I go to the bathroom, I lean over the toilet, and instantly I start puking. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? My body just knew what to do. Huh. And so I start puking, and I get out of the bathroom, and I'm like, body's empty. And I was like, oh, I feel a lot better. Oh, that's much better. And then all of a sudden, the highness kicks in again. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, it wants to go somewhere dark again. And so I'm like, I'm a little panicky. And like, I'm at the beginning stages of a bad trip. And he's, he was more experienced with this stuff. And he's like, lie down on the couch, close your eyes. We had all the lights off. He's like, close your eyes and go on the journey. Let go of control. And I was like, okay. And so I laid down on the couch. I closed my eyes. And instantly, it was just, I can't even explain it, but it was going somewhere so dark, like the darkest places I could imagine. It just kind of felt like demonic in a way. And I was like, you know what? I was like, hit me with your best shot. I was like, just show me the worst. I'm like, give it to me. And it just started taking me, like taking all these neural pathways in my brain and reformulating new pathways and connecting old ideas to new ones. And I cried for probably two hours straight. Wow. Yeah. And by the end of that, I felt so light and so fresh like the way the world had been taken off my shoulders and so connected and everything just kind of made sense. And the next week after that, I started calling people up and apologizing for my lack of understanding and the way I handled situations and treated people because it just basically brought my subconscious to my conscious. And so I became aware of things that I just wasn't consciously aware of before. And it was the beginning of like my spiritual journey. And so, you know, I've never done this stuff recreationally before. I always do it in a ceremony style format where there's lessons to be learned, deep, insightful lessons to be learned. And so if you do it in a proper way, there's a lot of, you know, deeper wisdom to be learned. And a lot of it centers on, you know, your connection with everything else. And it's very positive, but you got to be willing to let go and to go through your darkest fears and the darkest recesses of your mind and actually face that head on all your deepest fears. It took me one time where I was at the point where I didn't have to inhale anymore. I had the choice just not to breathe in anymore. And then another time it took me like it took my body into like full cerebral palsy. And I was like, I think I'm going to be stuck like this forever. And I had to let go and accept that. And then of course it comes out after a couple of hours, but I'm like, you know, it takes me and it takes you into your greatest fears. And then when you come out of it, when you can face your greatest fears, this is that whole philosophy of stoicism. If you can imagine and accept your worst possible fears in life, you've just given yourself liberation because there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. So yeah. And it's just, so it's, there's beautiful lessons like that, but in order to get the lessons, you have to be willing to let go of control and go to the deepest, darkest places in your mind, which is scary as hell because Mm -hmm. these are the things we don't talk about as a society or, you know, we don't think about with ourselves. Interesting. Yeah. So very cool tools, but you got to be ready. Someone, I could tell you this stuff all day long. I could teach you what I learned. But it's not going to mean anything to you. It's just going to be theory and ideas and knowledge you go through it. until you go through it yourself. And yeah. you can't just all of a sudden right now you go lay down and do this thing. It's like you may not be ready for that yet. Yeah. So it's, it's just kind of like at your own pace, at your own speed. 
when you're ready, you go through these next stages of life. And these are the types of tools that they're starting to use now. I, I volunteer in a hospice in Toronto and end of life, there's a lot of fear, right? You're coming up against all these attachments you've had in your life. And so these types of things can help you release all of your attachments, face your deepest, darkest fears before you pass away. And it makes that transition process joyful, very easy to let go because now you're not hanging on for one more day, one more hour, one more minute. You're able to be like, there's joy on the other side. When you shut off your mind, all that's left is what you've always been, which is everything, which is a very joyful state. And so there's nothing to be afraid of. And so there's just really cool lessons in that. That is awesome. Why, why, when and why did you uh, decide you wanted to volunteer at a hospice? How did that come about? Well, I wanted to volunteer for a long time, basically ever since I stopped the prosthetics and orthotics, but I was so okay. career focused forever. Yeah. But then I had done well enough in my acting that I had the finances saved up that I could take the time to volunteer again. And so I just went around looking to a couple of different hospitals, you know, some cancer wards and things like that. Yeah. And the one thing that I do well is I, I hold space well with people. I can sit there and uh, just hold <clears throat> space. And so I was like, well, who needs that kind of skill? And it, the hospice just kind of rang out to me. And I was like, I had read this book by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I believe, who wrote on death and dying. And it talks about all the stages of death and dying. And it was a very eye-opening experience. And so I went to the hospice and on the day I went to have my interview there, I'm standing outside and there's these two ladies that walk outside and all, both in about their fifties. And there's a guy mowing grass next door. And these two ladies, I, this one lady is just like, she looks real upset and she walks over to this guy in the lawnmower and says a bunch of words to him. And the reaction on the guy at the lawnmower is just like very like shameful and apologetic. And he shuts off the lawnmower and he walks away. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. What the heck is that about? And so I'm standing there with these ladies and they asked me just to wait outside with them. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on. But I was like, so I'm just chatting with these ladies and, you know, casual. And then all of a sudden this young man comes out the front door in a suit, maybe, you know, 20 years old. And I'm like, oh, he must be another volunteer. And in behind him out comes this family and their mother had just passed away and the grief was instantly palpable. And I just stood there and I just held space and I opened up my heart and I, I just kind of went on their journey with them and just kind of held that space with them. And the one lady looks over and, and sees me and the daughter and she's like, do you work here? I'm like, no, actually, I'm here for an interview today. And she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, well, you guys better hire him. <laughs> He's like, they just, you know, right away. And it's about that holding space with someone, keeping your heart open. And so I went in after that and had this 40 minute interview talk. And right away, they're like, we would love to have you. And I'm like, great. And so anyways, I started with that. And you have to do about 45 hours of training, I believe, 40, 45 hours of training. And it's all sensitivity training, essentially. And so I wasn't able to do it that first time around. I booked an acting role. And so it was, wasn't till about a year later that I actually had the time to do the training. And when I did the training, it was so eye-opening and insightful 
and it was just it was it gives so much more like you feel like you're there to give and it gives you back so much more and then when you start i have volunteered to do bedside care and so you go in there and you just be positive you know you but you just hold space with someone so wherever they're at that's perfect that's exactly where they should be and you just hold space and match their energy and you don't try to impinge your beliefs your thoughts your ideas your energy your anything on someone else you just hold and reciprocate mirror back to someone yeah and it was a very beautiful and i remember this one lady she was 60 years old and and she was happy and she's like why is everybody so sad around here and she's like you're the only one who's smiling at me and i'm like well there's nothing to be upset about and she's like oh you're just wonderful come back and hang out with me and i'm like absolutely and so it's like you start to learn all these you know these life lessons and it's we have all these ideas but in our western society we protect ourselves from death and dying we have all this fear and stigma around it, but there's nothing to be afraid of and so when you come to realize that there's just this huge weight off your chest and then you're able to open your heart and just be there for someone because that's the experience we all share with one another yeah that's yeah. fantastic yeah a lot of cool things to you know learn yeah for yeah. sure yeah. Dude, we've been we've been we've had some crazy chats, man. Yeah. Well, listen, let's 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 talk. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to get into all of this. We don't even have to, man. No, Wait, this, this, this is derby. This is well. Listen, I, I I do need to ask you this. You know, obviously. Yeah. yeah. yeah transition. Uh, with with, with <laughs> like the segue. It sounds like the killer. It's like a. <laughs> <Wait, this, yeah. laughs> One of our, so son is 14. He's, ob- you know, we're, we're not controlling him, what he can do and all that stuff. It's, you know, there's obviously limits, but you, you want him to discover cool. lots of things. Anyway, so um, obviously at 14, there's a lot of gaming going on, a lot of YouTube going on. Mm. So he comes to us one day and he goes, there's a new show. Let's watch it. What show? The Boys. What, what's What's it about? Ah, it's, it's like superhero, anti-superhero. I go, okay, superhero's fine. We've all watched the Marvel stuff. So again, he's the one that said, let's watch the show. <laughs> I don't know what episode it was, but my wife and I look at each other and go, all right, we opened we open this. You got to go through it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a wow show. Wow is right. What a show! And I, I read somewhere. I don't know whether yeah. you can say any. Can you say anything? Yeah. Okay. You've you've tried out for a role. Is that correct? Yeah, I have, but I I can't talk about that character except for. No, I can't. I I didn't even book it though, so it's okay. I could. Yeah, but it was. It's a new superhero that they got coming into season three. Okay. But they didn't even tell me his superpowers. That's how like low key they keep things. Yeah. So I, 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 I think I can say his name, Blue Hawk. <laughs> but I went through, I'll tell you what, I went through all the comics and all the, you know, I did all my research on the show and there was nothing about a Blue Hawk anywhere. So it's a new superhero. Wow. So I don't, I don't know what his deal is and nobody does except for the writers. Cause he's, he's, there's no, nothing on him yet. Ah, uh, so you didn't book it. You didn't, you didn't go out. No, I didn't book it. What a great show. I, the guy I worked on, the DOP, 
director of photography for yeah. that show is the director of photography I worked with on Cardinal and Bad Blood. Okay. So I've been chatting with Dylan McLeod is his name. I've been chatting with Dylan about the show and just picking his brain about it all. Yeah. And, you know, I got so many friends on that show too that I'm just like, you know, my friend Jess Alguero plays, I can't remember her character's name, but she's this innocent girl at the beginning who's fallen in love in the first episode. And, and all of a sudden A-Train comes along and rips right through her when they're yeah. on the street. <laughs> That's your buddy. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, what the hell was that? I'm like, what is this show? I know. <laughs> yo. So I'm like, this. Oh, I'm such a fan of it. I just finished season two, actually, just the other day. And I was like, oh, wow. I just want more. I want more. <laughs> Oh, I so wanted good. that role so bad. I did such a good audition for it too. <laughs> you know what? Someone, whoever's going to get that role, they'll probably cast someone 10 years older than me. It, it's, it's meant to be a little older. So yeah. my time will come. You didn't show them the whites on your beard. Oh uh, yeah. That's what I'm like. I was plucking them still. I was plucking them still. I, I just started sure. letting them grow. See, it's all about control, Eric. You got to let go. And you know what? I got to let it go. <laughs> you should have seen the quarantine do I had, man. I went full of Jesus mode. It, it was a main. It was something. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, what a great show, though. So what's 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 next for you, Eric? I, you've got this. Uh... I just booked a film, actually. I got. Okay. I, I'm working on it now. It's an MOW. We're shooting up in Ottawa. A, a thriller. It's called The Perfect Wedding, but it's anything but a perfect wedding. It's quite dramatic, actually. I'm like. <laughs> I, I can't say too much, but I'm like, I'm reading the script and I'm just like, I'm like, Oh, I'm like, damn. I'm like, they, okay. I'm okay. I'm like, <laughs> oh, there's nice surprises in it, but yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be filming that November. What is it? 14th to 29th. So, All right. and I haven't, I haven't filmed during COVID yet. So this will be my first COVID. This is your first one. Okay. Yeah, so I'll have to do the the COVID testing. You gotta, I think you got to get tested every three days. And I have a friend, Halia Jones, on Lock and Key. They're doing season two of the Netflix series Lock and Key right now. She's a yeah. series regular. And she actually helped me audition for this role that I booked. And, but, um, yeah, so I've been picking her brain about, you know, how their sets are run. And there's just a ton of plastic waste. And it's crazy. So. We'll see how it goes, but I'm excited for this. And then I got another movie, a sci-fi action film I did yeah. like a year and a half ago. It was so much freaking fun. It was, it's like all these enhanced beings. And I'm part of the, a private military complex who has to contain these subjects. And so I'm, it's just, and all the guys we shot the film with, there's a, uh, oh, what the hell's his name? Uh, uh, I can't remember, but he's the new kickboxer. He took over from Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay. And he's, yeah, he's the new kickboxer, and he's yeah. uh, he's just a fucking dope martial artist, and all these guys are stunt actors and, like, yeah. stunt guys. So all the stunts we're doing, I'm like, they're just badass fight scenes, and <laughs> oh, it was so wicked. So that's going to be coming out here. I just heard – I don't know when the date is, but, like, either late this year or early next year. So I'm stoked to – have that come out too and that's yeah, awesome yeah little things man lots to be grateful for but i'm yeah. like covid's a crazy time so we'll just have to see how this next year goes with the industry and you know just count the blessings for every every little bit of work we do get because a lot of actors aren't getting work right now and it's yeah. a tough time for a lot of people so you have to be understanding of that and 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 try not to make other people feel bad or less than or you know 
for that sure. it's, it's okay not to be working right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to interview tons of people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to realize, like, you just got started in this thing, like, just 10 years. Yeah. Right? Baby, man, baby still. Yeah, but, I mean, you've been... You, you've had a couple of series regulars, right? With, with Cardinal, yeah. with, ba with Bad Blood yeah. Uh, as well. Um, yeah. you're, you're basically related to Eugene Levy. Yeah, now I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that? So did you know, like, were you just joking with him when you told Eugene, ah, oh, there's another guy named Levy, you must be cousins or something like that? Was well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know he was his brother, but I'm like, I'll tell you, first of all, Fred Levy Associates is the most expensive freaking account in the world. The first year I used them, it cost me $1,300 <laughs> to do my taxes with them. Now, mind you, I had to do some HST back taxes for a few years, but okay. I'm like, $1,300? I'm like, for just an actor is insane because right now I pay like $220 for my taxes to get done. So I worked with them for a couple of years. And so I, yeah, I was just like, you know what? It's those little things of relatability. And I was like, it warms up people and opens up the conversation. So I was like, you know, I tried to talk into Catherine O'Hara, but she was just like, who is this guy? Like she wasn't having it at all. And so, you know, Eugene was just standing there and I was just like, I just stood beside him and I just kind of tossed that in there. And his eyes just lit right up and he's like, Oh no, that's not my, you know, that's my brother. And I'm like, Oh, that's your brother. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're looking pretty good then. You know, I just like, you know, start cracking jokes. But it's just like a giant family there. And oh, it, yeah. It was just the coolest, man. And like, I'm not sure if you read somewhere, but I was telling someone else that I, on my little break, I walked through all the sets. I wasn't supposed to, but I snuck through the whole studio and walked through all the sets on my own. And yeah. I was just like, this is crazy. You know, just like, what a brilliant show for such a long period of time. And it's just yes. iconic in a way. And just to have that privilege to be there in that last episode. And I was like, I don't care. Cause I auditioned for Mutt at the beginning. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, Way back, way back. But I was like, obviously, you know, I lose out to uh, what's his name. Uh, I don't know the actual name. Try with names. Yeah. Oh, what the heck's his name again? Who plays Mutt? We're looking this up. Okay. Google. Who Shit. plays Mutt on Shit's Creek? Timothy James Rosen. Timothy James Rosen. Right. Tim Rosen. Yeah, yeah. So Tim Rosen is like. Okay, Google. Stop. Shut up. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> That's effective. But yeah, Tim Rosen, who he's obviously brilliant for it, but I'm like, he's the 10 year older version of me. And so every time I lose out on a role, I'm, like, I'm losing to Tim. Yeah, man. It's like the 10 year older version of me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Tim. So I'm like, yeah, it's all just a matter of time. It's a patience game. But I was like, I just want to be on that show in any way whatsoever. And they're like, will you do this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah I will. I'm like, sure. Like, and then I show up on set and everyone is like the producers and the managers of Dan was there. They were in town to like help organize his career coming out of the show. And, and everyone's just like, they're like, well, we were all so curious who was going to be the one to do it. And they're like, we're all going to be watching you. And I'm like, good luck. And I'm like, oh, geez, thanks. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it was just a heck of a good time, man. Just a sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So little treats, you know, life gives you little gifts like that, if you call it a gift. But <laughs> well, listen, if, if people want to see you now, you can be seen in love in Harmony Valley. 
Yeah, Love and Honor uh, Valley. You can buy it on Amazon, and I think it's still it's going to be up on Up TV again. I think later in the year in the states, and yeah. I don't know. It's in France and England on whatever channels. I have no idea. But then in Canada on Super Channel. Super Channel. Yeah, Super Channel, and I don't know the dates. You'd have to look it up online, but. Yeah, Super Channel. Who the heck has Super Channel? I don't know. <laughs> it used to be a thing back in the day. Like, that was the first, mm. like, big pay channel. I never had Super Channel. Yeah, I never. Yeah. Neither did I. Yeah. yeah. You know, I stopped doing Netflix these days, though, and I started using Crave and Amazon, and I was like, now I'm kind of done with Crave and Amazon. I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. I'm like, I, there's nothing anymore. I'm done with TV. I'm like, there's yeah. no more TV. <laughs> there's no more TV. Yeah. Until, until season three of The Boys comes back. That's it. Oh, man. And you get back up Yeah, well, I guess they're getting started. And not until yeah. next year, though. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, one thing most people don't know about you. Mm. Well, that I've worked with ayahuasca, which is crazy, like the craziest freaking thing in the world. It's like taking you to another dimension with Mother Nature. And I'm all about it, man. I'm all about that, you know, Vipassana meditation. Anything that, you know, I can, I can share what I've learned is like, that's the coolest. And I'm like, if there's one thing people don't know and they should know is Vipassana meditation. They do this 10-day silent meditation retreat, and it's completely free. They got a spot. If you just look it up anywhere where you live, I'm sure they have a place for it. Completely free. At the end of it, it's based by donation. If you have money to donate, you can. That's how they stay up and going. But for 10 days, all you do is meditate, and they teach you. At the end of every day, there's a discourse video you watch, and they break down what you went through that day and what, to kind of, what you're going to be going through the next day. And then you do that for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, you get a glimpse into what it's like to shut off your mind completely and what it's like to feel completely connected to the source. And it is the most significant experience of my entire life and something that I recommend to absolutely everybody. But even when I was first told about Vipassana meditation by two different people, it's non-religious, non-secular, blah, blah, blah when I was first told about it, it took me years to commit to going because every time I was like going to go, I was on the wait list one time and they called me the night before. They're like, Hey, uh, someone just dropped out. There's a spot open. You can come tomorrow morning at 6am. And I'm like, Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'll come. I call them back a minute later. I'm like, no, nah. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ready right now. I can't do that. Call them back five minutes later. I'm like, you know what? I'm ready. Let's do it. And then I call them back two minutes later and I'm like, I just not ready. And it's this fear. You know, this part of our ego, our egoic mind, or this fear-based part of your mind that says, you know, that's crazy. That's insane. That's stupid. Why the heck would you go sit there for 10 days and meditate? That sounds stupid. Don't do that. That's dumb. And it's basically your mind trying to keep control of you, trying to distract you from being aware that it's running the show. But it's not running the show. It's all an illusion. And so 10-day Vipassana silent meditation retreat. Hundred percent, man. Highly recommend, and especially in times like today, yeah. it is the greatest thing you will ever gift yourself and everyone you ever interact with in your life, because it just teaches you all about your mind, all about what ego and egoic mind actually is, and how the mind works, and how it tricks you, how it has power over you. And as long as the mind has power over you, it's like you're just a robot. 
to be aware of your thoughts is very powerful. Eric, this has been a mm. really fun chat. Yeah, it has. Like I literally a great time, an hour and 15 minutes has gone by like it's been 10 minutes over. <laughs> <laughs> like it's gone, it's yeah. gone by so quick. It's yeah. gone by so quick. I didn't even look at the time once. Yeah, it just got <laughs> off. But yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I really appreciate it, Eric. Uh, dude, I feel I don't know. You you want to plug anything where people can find yeah, you? Yeah, man. If people want to find something, they find it. Not a big deal. All right, Eric. Yeah. I look. I I don't say this to many people, and I hope you don't mind. But you know, once all this goes down, mm. um, man, I'd love to just hang out and just chat. Oh, this, this has been awesome. I dig that, man. Absolutely. This has been awesome. We have lots to share. We have lots to, yeah, lots to share with one another, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah very, like, I'll tell you this. I, and, and I respect your time. So, so you tell me, Kareem, I got to go. But, you know, usually I've got like notes and notes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for, for, I can't remember the last time, Eric, where we're just chatting. Yeah. You know, and maybe I've looked over and I go, shit, Amira's going to get mad at me if she listens to this thing. Because you didn't plug that show. You didn't plug that movie. I, you know what, man? I was listening to, like, I was just listening to you and, 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 and Nigel. And, and I was just like, I was like, oh, well, they're just talking. They're just chatting, shooting the shit. I'm like, great. I'm I like, I'm that. looking forward to just that. shooting the shit. Great chat. And I was like, Kareem, got it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's what I like. I just want to yeah. just chat. That, that's that's why you don't I get that very often, man. No, not anymore, man. And I not didn't anymore. even have to pay you. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 All right, here's your twenty dollars. Thanks for much. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, thanks so much. I really, I, I had a lot of fun. This has been good. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, really nice talking with you. Take care of yourself. Tell your fourteen-year-old son don't do drugs. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you, brother. Take care.